Hello, I'm Ray. Here we go with another podcast episode. Ray, my namesake. Hello, Ray. Ray's commented on our immune system. These days and back in the good old days, say the 50s, I think I've told you before about the 1950s, my old nan, (laughs) we called her nan, in her larder, her sort of pantry thing, there was a bowl of dripping. I remember seeing this bowl of dripping and there were flies in there all buzzing around it. But worse than that, next to this bowl of dripping (laughs) was a chicken carcass, sort of half eaten, and there were flies on that. And I remember looking at it and thinking, I'm not eating anything here, not at Nan's house, I don't like it. There was no sign of antibacterial wipes and antibacterial sprays and all this stuff. It just didn't exist. I suppose they had disinfectant back in those days. Dettol, wasn't it? Disinfectant. But people didn't go sort of wiping down surfaces with disinfectant. I don't remember that. There were things like Vim and Ajax, which were for scrubbing things. I suppose they use that. But I don't know. There were no antibacterial things around back then. So, yeah, Ray is saying, is our immune system now weaker than it was back in the old days? You're probably right, Ray. Um, I think we do need a certain amount of germs and bacteria and stuff so our bodies can build up an immune thing against it. I remember my son years ago, I don't know how it came up, but he said, he said, our toilet seat is so clean you could eat your dinner off it. (laughs) I said, okay. Uh, I don't really want to eat my dinner off it. But okay, the toilet seat, that's different. You want that clean. But everything is clean, isn't it? These days we live in such a sterile environment. I just wonder whether it's good for us really or whether we do need a few germs and things. I don't know. What do you think? Raise rants at protonmail.com. What do you think about that? Another email here from Bob. Hello, Bob. He mentioned olive oil. Do you know I, I... told you about olive oil I've been sprinkling that on things because it's meant to work miracles in your body I forgot to mention it I've been taking it for what two three weeks now when I say taking it sprinkling it on salad on food and stuff and Bob asked how I'm getting on with it I do feel better is it psychological this is the thing here's the thing (laughs) is it psychological I don't know I feel I suppose if it is psychological it doesn't matter I feel better So what if it is? It doesn't matter, does it? But no, honestly, I do feel, how do I, I can't explain how I feel better. I I just, I feel more alive, I suppose, more alert, more with it. I don't know. But yeah, olive oil, it's good stuff. And this Mediterranean diet, I eat quite a lot of olives. I get through those actually rather too fast, olives, but they are nice. I like a, a decent salad, a cheese salad, of course, with, uh, yeah, cheese salad, olives, beetroot, that's nice. We cook our own beetroot, you know, buy it raw and then cook it in this pressure thing, whatever. I don't know what it does, but it beeps and it says end on it. And then, you know, the beetroot's ready. <laughs> it's cooked. So that's good. But I do like the Mediterranean type salad, Greek salad, isn't it? With feta cheese and stuff like I'm making myself feel hungry now. Right. More emails. Uh, Bruce, uh, Susan, Mike, Terry. And I think there were some more. There were quite a few, actually, all mentioned this thing about my sister-in-law going to the loo for something to do. Do you remember when we were at the hospital, my sister-in-law and I, waiting for Tricia uh, while she was having surgery? She said, I'm going to the loo because I'm bored. And I said, what what do you mean you're going because you're bored? Well, it's something to do. 
So she went to the toilet for something to do. And that made a lot of you laugh. I've told family and friends about it and everyone laughs. I mean, <laughs> I mean, read a book for something to do if you're bored. Read a book, watch TV. I suppose we didn't have a book or telly, so what could you do? But uh, to go to the toilet seems rather odd. Now, this store detective thing, you remember on Wednesday, the midweek message I told you about, I knew a store detective girl. I don't know how I met her. I've been trying to think how on earth I met her. It must have been through a friend. Thinking back, she was self-employed because she told me all about her job. She was self-employed as a store detective. And then if a shop had trouble with shoplifters or a supermarket, they'd get on to her and she'd go and sort it out. What she used to do was mingle with the shoppers. she pretend that she was just shopping. You probably know all this anyway about store detectives. I don't know about these days because back then there weren't, decent cameras as we have now there are decent cameras they did have cameras but I don't think they were too good so she would just mingle with the shoppers and if she saw someone suspicious then she'd get sort of fairly close to them so she could keep an eye on them just make out she's doing her shopping and then grab them if they started nicking stuff now I didn't get to know her because she grabbed me for shoplifting that's not how I how I first met her she didn't do me for nicking stuff in the shop but she was very interesting person only early 20s I suppose interesting girl telling me all about her job and I think I mentioned on Wednesday we went and sat in her little office bit or the office at the back where there's a kind of almost like a two-way mirror it was a strange thing and you could have a look out and watch people I think there were a couple of cameras, but as I say, they're black and white. They were, well, to be honest, they were all but useless, really. But an interesting job. And the thing is, what I was going to go on to say is, I bumped into her many, many years later. Yes, you guessed it. I was in a pub and she came in with this chap and I saw her. So I smiled and nodded at her and I was about to walk over and she shook her head negatively and she mouthed, no, no as if, well, not as if she didn't want me to approach her. She didn't want me to go up to her at all, which I found rather odd. And what was even odder still, can you say odder? Yeah, that'll do, odder still, or more odd, <laughs> more odder. I happened to be at the bar a little bit later getting a drink. I was with some friends at a table and I'd gone back to the bar and I heard this chap that was with her call her Pat. Well, her name was Lorraine. It wasn't Pat, it was Lorraine. So I'm thinking, this is you know, odd, odder and odder by the minute. <laughs> she's not uh, she's not Pat. I did wonder whether he was perhaps a, a jealous boyfriend and if she started chatting to me, you know, he'd go ballistic or something like some people do, you know. But anyway, he was calling her Pat. And I'm thinking, you know, this, this is weird. Anyway, a bit later in the evening when I was up at the bar, she slipped me a piece of paper, just slipped into my hand. And it said on it a time... And a pub. I knew the pub. It was in a, another town. So I was to meet her in this pub at seven o'clock the following evening. All rather strange and clandestine, but she had been, or still was possibly, a store detective. So that was the way she worked. The following evening at seven o'clock, I walked into this pub and there she was sitting in a, at a corner table. She already had a drink, so I grabbed a drink from the bar and joined her. I said, hello, Pat, or is it Lorraine or Fred or whatever? I said some joke like that. She laughed. She said, yes, sorry about that. She explained that she was no longer a store detective. She was with the police and she was undercover. Now, I was intrigued. I thought, wow, this is good fun. This is cool. <laughs> with the police. 
She wouldn't tell me who the chap was that she was with. It wasn't a boyfriend. She wouldn't tell me anything about it. All she said was, obviously, I can't do it in my hometown. I can only operate in other towns here because people will know me. Because my hometown, where I you know, met her in that supermarket and the pub, that wasn't her hometown. So she wouldn't tell me anything about it, just that she was working for the police and she was always doing various undercover jobs. And it was all very exciting. At first, I was pressing her, you know, what about this? What about that? Tell me, tell me all about it. But then I backed off because I realised that she couldn't, she couldn't tell me anything. Probably signed the official Secrets Act or something. <laughs> so there we were, sitting there. I was sitting there with Lorraine, who was Pat when she was at work. All rather strange. And I never met her again. I don't know where she went. She probably went so much undercover that <laughs> no one ever saw her again. I don't know. But interesting, though, it's um, a different type of job, isn't it? You know, rather than working in a shop or a hairdresser or whatever, taxi driver or whatever you do. It's totally different, is it? Working undercover for the police. Excellent. I've just remembered I haven't told you about the weather today. It's been raining all night, lashing with rain, and it's been coming through my ceiling in here again. I must get those chaps to have a look at the roof because it was all over my where my radios are. Not on the radios, just on the, the huge desk. But I can't have that. Anyway, it's 14 degrees centigrade, which is 57 Fahrenheit. Millibars, where's my notes? Here we are, 10, 14 millibars on the old barometer. And the flag is kind of making some sort of limp effort to get itself going. There's a breeze coming from the east. But it's very misty out there, very dull. Not nice at all. We went up the shop to get some milk. Took Tricia out for an outing in the car. And it was so busy. There's people everywhere. I hate it. There's an ambulance going by with its sirens blaring and there's cars tooting each other in the street. I don't know. It's absolutely jammed full of people. And in this supermarket, talking of supermarkets, I said to Trish, I'd far rather be in the woods on my own. And she said, yeah, but you can't buy milk in the woods. That's what we went mainly for, milk. So that's true, isn't it? You can't kind of buy milk in the woods. But not to worry. Imagine a log cabin. No, I won't go off on that. A log cabin in the woods where I could have old engines. <laughs> no, you can't really have old engines in the woods, can you? Old diesel engines that I, ha I could have in a barn. Perhaps a farm. Be nice to live on a small farm, a small holding, where we could grow some vegetables, things like that. Have a few goats. Oh, when we're in Bournemouth, I forgot to tell you this. When we went to Bournemouth, there's a kind of hillside pathway down to the seafront and if you look over the fence there's quite a slope going down and it's all brambles and weeds and stuff like that and there were goats down there just along by the fence and down a bit further eating bits of the the bushes and things actual goats you know like real goats with legs and stuff <laughs> and it was weird a lot of people were stopping and looking at them but it was most peculiar I don't know where they actually live they must have somewhere where they shelter at night I don't know but anyway I, t I just thought I'd mention that I just had to pop round to the doctor just a routine thing the waiting room was empty which is nice I think they're spreading appointments out now to you know keep people apart because of Covid and I sat there empty waiting room this woman came in sat right next to me you know her chair was sort of almost touching mine right next to me and there's a huge empty waiting room why? I just looked at her and she's fiddling about with her baggage and stuff. In the end, I moved. I just didn't want to be that close to someone in a doctor's waiting room. She might have a disease. I might have a disease. 
I just didn't want that. I remember as a kid, you know, we'd go down to the beach, mum, dad, us kids, and we'd find a, a spot on the sand, we'd spread our blanket out. I hated the beach, but there we are, didn't like the sea. And we'd spread our stuff out, mum would have the picnic hamper, and you get some people come and join us. They put their blanket three or four feet away from ours. And I used to think, why are they doing this? There's a whole beach. Loads of space for people to spread out. Oh no, they come and sit right next to us. And I remember once, this couple came and spread their blanket out next to us. They had a dog. He went into the sea. Of course, it got soaking wet. He was swimming. He came rushing out, stood in the middle of our blanket and shook himself. So we're all wet, our food. Oh, it was awful. And what did the people say? Nothing. Just, oh, come here, come here. The dog went and joined them. Didn't say anything to us. I, I don't know. I don't understand people. I moved to a, a bungalow years, decades ago. When was this? 70s. And the garden was lovely, a very long garden. And right down the end was a very secluded bit. So I made a sort of patio area there so we could sit there and have a table. And it was just really secluded, surrounded by bushes and small trees. And the chap next door, there was a wire fence. You know, like, is it chain link or whatever they call it? A wire fence, but covered in bushes. And they were mainly his side. We'd only been there a couple of weeks. I built this sort of paved area. And I went down there one afternoon after work. All the bushes his side had gone. He'd opened the whole thing up. And I was standing there looking and thinking, oh, that's a shame. Anyway, he came down. Hello there. He said, how are you doing? I said, yeah, fine. I, I, I see you've taken the bushes away. Yep, he said it was blocking our view. He said, we can see you now and have a chat. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's all I need. Isn't that strange? Anyway, we didn't ever use that patio bit down the end. We sat closer to the bungalow, which was secluded with bushes our side. So he couldn't do much about that. With me, if I go to the beach or wherever, I keep away from people, preferably the next town, the next county, if I had my way. <laughs> I don't know. There we are. Had an email from Ernie. Hello, Ernie. How are you doing? A shout out. Big shout out to Ernie. He says, adverts, you got me going on adverts in one of your episodes. Yes, I remember, well, probably several episodes, Ernie. I'm always moaning about adverts. He said, I thought it was meant to be Ray's rants. He said, you don't actually rant, don't I? I'm not sure, Ernie. Don't, I thought I did rant, especially about adverts. Anyway, he's agreeing with me entirely about the length of adverts and how many there are. And you forget which programme it is that you're watching. The advert's on for so long, and sometimes I wonder, we... Has the programme ended or are we going back to it? Or perhaps it's finished. And I can't remember what it is I'm even watching. I don't know what's wrong with these TV companies. <laughs> I think there should be rules that, you know, where you can only have so many minutes of adverts, not hours and hours. It seems like hours, doesn't it? So there's a rant for you, Ernie. I hate adverts. I really do. I just hit the mute button every time or... It, depending on what it is we're watching, you can do the, you know, the wind on thing. You can just whiz it over the adverts and then go back to play. And I'll very often do that. And if it's a program that is not recorded, what we do is the program starts. So we pause it. Then we make a cup of tea, do whatever. So when we get back, the program is perhaps, I don't know, 10 minutes in, but we're watching it from the beginning. So you've got 10 minutes worth of pause, if you see what I mean. So when the adverts come up, we can whiz forward a few minutes to get rid of the adverts, but you've got to pause it at the beginning to build up your, your whizzing on minutes. Is that right? Do you, does that make sense? Of course it does. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? 
Anyway, rant over about adverts. Oh, and Ernie, I can't mention that other bit you put in your email about adverts. I know what you mean. That's not something I want to mention on here. But yes, I do take your point about that comment you made in that uh, paragraph. Or was it three, six, ten paragraphs? Anyway, nice to hear from you, Ernie. Thanks. Another email here from Gerald. Hello, Gerald. (laughs) Big shout out to you. (laughs) I don't know. What is all this shout out? Gerald says, do you remember at school people used to nick your dinner money? They did. I remember the teacher saying, don't leave dinner money in the desk when you go off to assembly. Keep it in your trouser pocket so it's with you all the time till you get back to the classroom. Then when they call the the register, you then hand in your dinner money because kids would put it in the desk. And, you know, you get back from assembly and it's disappeared as someone's a bit of a thief going around opening desks. They never found out who it was, but anyone fool enough to leave their money in the desk, you were likely to have it stolen. I remember once there was a, at our school, it was a secondary modern school for boys. I don't know about modern. It was dreadful. Anyway, I'm not going on about hating school, but stuff used to go missing. It's quite funny. We used to laugh. Stuff used to go missing from the science lab. Things like a Bunsen burner, test tubes, flasks, bits and pieces like that. All chemistry stuff. And of course the teachers were blaming us. They're looking at us, uh, the science master. And every time we'd had a lesson before we go out, he'd search our bags, make sure we hadn't nicked stuff. I mean, no one wanted to nick anything. I didn't. Who wants a Bunsen burner or a test tube or something or a glass flask thing, whatever they're called. I wasn't interested in chemistry. I was interested in electronics, that side of things, electricity and magnetism. I didn't want a test tube. (laughs) Anyway, I used to search our bags whenever we went out. And in the end, there was so much stuff going missing, they called in the cops. Now, we didn't know this till after it had all happened. And apparently this cop, he hid in the storeroom. You'd be lucky to find a copper these days. But anyway, back then you could... And he hid in the storeroom in the you know, where the science lab was. And everyone filed out. School was closing. So the room was empty. The teacher left. And this copper is hiding in the storeroom. The door was slightly open. When is a door not a door? When it's ajar. That's a stupid joke. It really is. Anyway, he's spying out of this ajar door. And he caught the culprit. And you never guess who it was. When we heard, we couldn't believe it. It was the geography teacher. How about that? The geography teacher came in with his bag and his nicking chemistry stuff, all sorts of bits and pieces. Anyway, the copper nabbed him and he lost his job, of course. Not the copper, the geography teacher. He lost his job and he was charged with theft and goodness knows what. It was in the paper. I remember the local paper. Apparently, a friend of his was setting up a chemistry lab. I don't know what for, what he was doing. And this teacher was nicking all the gear for him from school. So there we are. And there they, they were blaming us kids, searching our bags, and it was one of their own, one of their teachers. Someone was asking me the other day, would I rather go to school as I did in the 50s and early 60s or these days? And I said, well, I don't know what school's like these days, you know. And he said, well, you know, you've, you've seen the kids in the street wearing their trainers. You don't have to wear your polished black shoes. They don't have caps they got all sorts of colourful bags. Most of them do have a uniform. They wear a uniform. And he said, you know, you hear things about telly. You've got grandchildren. You've had your own kids at school. What do you, th- you, know, what do you think? 
And to be honest, although I hated school, I think I would rather go to school in the old days when I got caned. Now, it's not nice getting the cane, you know, six of the best, but it was discipline. I played truant. That's bunking off school, if you don't know the word truant. I bunked off school every Friday afternoon. I think I've told you this before, but I shall tell you again anyway. Every Friday afternoon at two o'clock after the history lesson, she was a funny woman. The history tea, Mrs, what was it, Mrs Nelson or Nielsen? She was weird. She was a nurse and she'd gone into teaching, teaching history. And she used to tell us about operations she'd been on. Oh, and about laying out people that had died. Supposed to be a history lesson. And she's telling us all about this people. Oh, I, I won't go into that now. But she told us things in graphic detail. How to lay out the dead. I mean, I told you it was an awful school. But I would rather be at school back in those days because there was discipline and there was respect. Well, respect for the teachers. Well, there was, we showed respect to the teachers. We didn't respect them, <laughs> but we were seen to respect them, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, I think I'd rather go back to those days. Oh, we talked about bullying as well. You know, kids get bullied at school these days. I mean, obviously it happened back in my day as well. And, and earlier, no doubt, there were always school bullies. But it was only at school. There was none of this online stuff. You know, they couldn't get you on Facebook and Twitter and whatever. It was only at school. And that was only... Uh, playtime when we're in the playground you know not in the classroom if you're unlucky enough to have the, the bully actually in your class he couldn't really do much during lessons it was only uh you know when playtime and lunchtime of course but um yeah we did have bullies I remember there was one kid he was awful he was always bullying people he was a big I was gonna say <laughs> I was gonna say fat um yeah well he was he was fat this big fat kid all he used to do with people was get them against the wall and lean on them with his weight, you know, and hurt them like that. Only, you know, the little kids. And uh, one day there was this, a new kid at school, quite a, a tall chap and quite muscular. You know, he was pretty fit. And this bully didn't lean on him, of course, but the, this tall chap saw what the bully was doing. And all he did was he took him to one side in the playground. I remember we were there watching this and he said something to him, only a few words, and that bully didn't ever bully anyone again. And we used to say, what did he say? What did that chap say? He wouldn't tell us. We asked him, what did you say? He wouldn't tell us. He obviously threatened him. <laughs> but he sorted the bully out. And I thought that was brilliant. Of course, I became mates with him. It's nice to have him on your side, isn't it? <laughs> I was also talking to someone the other day about tortoises. Did you have a tortoise? Back in the old days, everyone had a tortoise, didn't they? And a lot of them didn't survive hibernation because people didn't know how to look after them properly. Ours were trying to keep him awake. Gary, his name is Gary. We're trying to keep him awake as long as possible. He's in a warm place and we get him out in the garden. If there's a bit of sunshine, we get him into the garden walking around because we don't want him hibernating too early. Last year, he hibernated very early and it was, was it January, February? He was awake the spring's here, he was saying, let me out, let me out. And the spring wasn't here at all. It was winter and it was really cold. And we had to have him in the house. We had to make an area in the house for him, which was a bit orcs, as my granddaughter would say. So yes, tortoises. Back then, a lot of people had pets, didn't they? They had rabbits in a small hutch and the rabbits were never allowed out. This is what we were chatting about the other day, this friend of mine. These poor rabbits, they're in this hutch. 
and they're not allowed out. They very rarely went out into the garden because they probably run off or hop off or whatever they do. So, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea to have these pets these days unless you know what you're doing. What is it? Our middle daughter, she's got what I call a, uh, an Aristotle. I know that's the wrong word. It's not an Aristotle. <laughs> but I, that's the only word I can remember. It's a fish type thing and it eats worms. She feeds it worms. I don't know, it's weird. Is it kind of amphibious? I don't know what it is. It's a strange thing, but she loves it and the kids love it. So, <laughs> so I suppose that's all right. And it seems happy that something else kids had back in the 50s and 60s. They all had a goldfish in a bowl. That must have been awful for the fish in a small round bowl like that. It must have been dreadful. I think back then people didn't realise just how awful it was for some of the pets. I don't mean dogs and cats, but some of the other pets, like the tortoise, the rabbit, the goldfish stuck in a small bowl. So things have changed quite a lot these days in respect to looking after animals anyway. I think to buy a tortoise, uh, am I right? You have to have a licence now. I mean, we've had ours for years, so we don't, you know, we haven't got a licence as such, but uh, I don't think you can go and buy or sell a tortoise now without some kind of licence thing. I'm not sure. That's something else I must have a look into. We're taking Gary round to the vet, I think, in a couple of weeks' time to have his kind of health check-up and make sure he's all prepared for hibernation. Anyway, you don't want to know about tortoises, do you? What about the weather? It's, a, it's the next day now. Where are we? It's the 14th now. It's Friday. And the weather is dull and it's about the same temperature as yesterday. A little bit of wind from the west. It's just dull. It's not too cold. It's just grey and dull and gloomy <laughs> and awful. Us Brits, that's all we talk about, isn't it? The weather. I know you lot listening abroad, wherever you are, America, Australia, you're probably laughing at that because we do. We're known the world over for going on and on and on about the weather. <laughs> I don't know why that is. It's strange, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. I was in a pub. Yes, I know another pub. Now, this is decades ago. Was it late 60s, I think, early 70s? And I was sitting on a bar stool at the bar, as you do. That's where the bar stools are. And I was having a chat and a, a beer with a friend of mine. And he said to me, that chap over there, he said, don't look, but that chap over there is watching us. So I didn't turn and look, but I did... Just out of the corner of my eye, I could see someone sitting at a table, this chap on his own. And I said, well, I don't suppose he's watching us. He's just looking around the pub. And he said, no, where I'm sitting, I can see him properly. And he keeps looking at us. And I just said, well, ignore him. He's probably just looking at everyone. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Ignore him. So we're chatting away and we're finishing our beer. And he said, look, I, I don't like this. He is definitely watching us. Let's go to another pub. So I didn't really want to, but I said, OK, yeah, if we have to. There was another one just, you know, not too far away, just 100 yards down the road. So we walked up to this other pub, went in there, sat at the bar in there. It was early evening, so the pubs weren't busy. We got a, a stall each at the bar, had our beer. And to my amazement, this chap walked in and he got a half a pint of something. I went and sat down at a table and was watching us. So I said to this uh, friend of mine, I said, yeah, you're right is not only watching us, he's following us. So he said, OK, here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. You walk out of the pub, finish your beer and walk out of the pub and I'll stay here. And I said, well, what's that going to do? And he said, well, if he stays here, he's watching me. If he follows you, he's watching you. I said, right, OK, I get it. So I, I finished my beer and I went out of the pub down to the other one down the road. Because I said, you know, when it's all over, we'll kind of meet back there. 
So I went to the one down the road and the chap didn't follow me. So about 20 minutes later, this friend of mine walked in <laughs> and we sat on the stools at the bar where we were originally. And this chap walked in and went and sat at his table and was watching us. It was quite disconcerting, actually. I didn't like it at all. Neither did this friend of mine. We didn't like that. So as it was obvious we were being watched, this friend of mine said, I'm going to get a taxi home. And he said to the barman, could you get me a cab? Because I think he was a bit worried. I I don't know what was on his mind. He didn't say too much to me, but he just said, I'm not going to walk home because he'll follow me. I'll get a cab. And this chap that was sitting down, he came across and he said, oh, which way are you going? I'll give you a lift. And I I thought, no, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Anyway, my friend said, oh, I'm going. I forget which way he was going, but he said, I'm going that way. And this chap said, oh, so am I. I'll give you a lift. Or rather odd. Anyway, off they went. I, I thought it was a bad idea, but a bit of a long story. So to cut it short, next time I saw this friend of mine, I said, you know, what happened? He said, well, he was trying to find out where I lived. So I took him completely the wrong way and got him to drop me off outside a house that was you know, no, nowhere near where I live. And he said the chap drove off up the road and stopped because he watched him. And this friend of mine nipped into a garden and hid behind a bush. And this chap walked back. And he was looking at the houses. Now, he wasn't sure which one you know, my friend had gone into. But after a few minutes, he was just looking at the houses. And then he went back to his car and drove off. Uh, at which time my friend then walked home. Which was quite a distance because he'd led the chap you know, miles off course sort of thing. We were in the pub again a few days later. Yes, in the same pub again, having another beer. <laughs> and this chap walked in. So my friend walked straight up to him as he came in and said, OK, what's going on? You're following me. You're trying to find out where I live. Who are you? What are you doing? He was a private detective. At first he was, oh, no, 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 nothing. And I I joined in. I said, come on, you followed us to the other pub. You followed us back here. You offered him a lift home. You got out of your car. You're walking around looking at the houses. And he he did admit, he said, well, actually, I'm private detective. And I was just following you on instructions. (laughs) He didn't talk like that. So my friend said, well, instructions from who? You know, what, what's it all about? And he said, well, your wife. And my friend said, I'm, I'm not married. Who is it you're after? Anyway, he mentioned a chap's name, which I won't mention. One of the regulars in the pub. And he said, I'm sorry, but you've got the wrong chap. You've been following me. It's not me you want. It's someone else. We, we didn't make out. We knew who it was. We just said, I haven't got a clue who you're talking about. We, we knew, obviously. And this chap was going on. I'm so sorry. Let me buy you both a drink. I'm so sorry. And I said to him, actually, for a private detective, because we were sort of joking by then and laughing, I said, you weren't very good sitting there watching us, following us on foot to the other pub, then following back here to this pub, offering him a lift. I said, you know, it's hardly <laughs> hardly undercover, is it? And he said, I've only been, <laughs> only been doing this a few months. And uh, yeah, my friend said, well, you want to take up fishing instead. You probably have more luck. It was funny. But the chap who he had thought he was following, we didn't tell this other chap. We knew him, as I said, but um, we did have a chat to him one evening. And uh, yeah, we were saying to him, so, you know, you've got, uh, got someone else you're seeing that your wife doesn't know about. Who told you that? Who told you that? And we were just joking and saying, oh, it's obvious. You know, it's obvious the way you behave and everything. So it was all rather... <laughs> rather interesting the whole episode this chap actually we I thought that we should tell him but he said funnily enough they just split up him and his wife had just split up so there was no need to tell him about the detective chap 
but uh, interesting anyway. Oh, that reminds me. Well, it doesn't remind me. I've just looked at a note that reminded me. Danny. Hello, Danny. Danny says, what did you eat in the 50s? <laughs> what did we eat as a kid? What did you eat? Um, breakfast, dinner, tea, you know, whatever, lunch. Uh, good question, I suppose. Uh, I won't go into school dinners because I hated the whole thing. It's where I was forced to eat dreadful lumps of awful meat, liver and bacon. And it was all, I'm sure it was all cheap, horrible stuff that put me right off meat, to be honest. So what did we eat? Well, my mum used to do, because in those days, mums, most mums didn't go to work. They were housewives. So my mum would do a lot of baking, a lot of cooking. She used to do cheese flans, which were nice. It's basically, it's like a quiche, I suppose, but it's dry. You know, a quiche is sort of wet. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm no chef. I don't know what I'm talking about. But a cheese flan, it was a pastry base. Made all her own pastry and everything. So for dinner, we'd have cheese flan. Then the usual potatoes, runner beans, peas, carrots, whatever. Mashed potatoes, probably, or boiled potatoes. And a lot of the vegetables came from the garden. Runner beans would come from the garden. Greens, cabbage, carrots, all grown in the garden. So that was really nice. Sometimes we would have what we called sosalatas. They're kind of, even back in the 50s, there were vegetarian things. They were called sosalatas and risol nuts. They were made by granola, I believe, granola. Now, because I didn't like meat, my mum started getting this stuff in for me. And the whole family liked it, brothers, sister, they all liked it. So we very often had these sosalatas and various other, I suppose, what were vegetarian dishes. I mean, I've never called myself a vegetarian. I just don't like meat. And that comes from the school days. So I don't eat any meat at all. I never have. I've tried it. You know, as I say, <laughs> school dinners, I've tried it. And it was disgusting. It put me right off. So that's what we used to have for a meal. On a Sunday, we'd have roast potatoes, the others would have chicken or whatever the meat was, beef or something, and then the usual vegetables and the gravy. And I'd have all that, but instead of the meat, I would have these sosalata things or cheese flan, if there was any left, risol nuts. There are all sorts of vegetarian things back in those days. I didn't normally tell people that I didn't eat meat because in the 50s, you were looked upon as some kind of weirdo. You know, my, my grandfather was a vegan back in the 50s. He didn't eat anything to do with dairy. He didn't wear leather jackets, leather shoes, leather gloves. He was a complete vegan. And people did, they called him a crank in the, the small town where he lived, like, well, village, really. He was known as a crank. <laughs> because in the 50s, people hadn't heard of vegans. Anyway, that's that. What did we have for breakfast? I don't know, the usual, I suppose, cornflakes. Cornflakes, cereals of some sort, porridge. I used to like Quaker Oats porridge with uh, carnation milk, you know, it's evaporated milk. That was nice. For lunch, well, it was normally, lunch was normally sandwiches, I suppose. Things like that. So, yeah, a little bit boring. You know, we didn't have uh, a lot of weird stuff like people have these days. Well, it's not weird, is it? But there's, all, there's so much these days, so much to choose from. And, of course, there weren't uh, takeaways like there are now. There weren't Chinese, well, not where I live, Chinese takeaways, Indian and Thai and all the rest of it. All we had was the local fish and chip shop, which was nice. I liked that. The local fish and chip shop, that was great. And as for drinks for kids, because, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's in the email. Yeah, drinks. Uh, Corona. The Corona lorry used to pull up or we'd have 
cherry aid and orange aid and lime aid and raspberry, you name it, aid. <laughs> the Corona man had all these bottles, which my mum hated when he pulled up. Oh, look, the Corona man's here, because it meant going out there and to the lorry and getting her purse out. Of course, there's us four kids. Oh, I want that one. No, I want this one. So she'd say, no, we're not getting a load of different flavours. You, you have this and this. <laughs> like it or lump it. I was actually very lucky that my mum did, I suppose, special meals for me. For, for example, as I said, on a Sunday, they're having chicken or beef and she would do the sausalatas for me. Because back in those days, you basically had what you were given. You know, that is the meal. That is what I've cooked for everyone. And you eat it. If you don't want it, you go without. That was the the way back in the 50s. So I was very lucky, really, that my mum did me these special meals. But as I said, most of the family enjoyed the stuff that I had anyway. Just not on Sunday. They wanted their proper Sunday roast, which is fair enough. Did I tell you I cooked the Sunday dinner last week? I did roast potatoes. I think I told you that. I, I can't remember what I've told you. I can't remember what I've done, let alone what I've told you. I did roast potatoes because Trish is recovering from this operation. I did the Sunday dinner and we had roast potatoes, carrots. Uh, what else did I put in there? Yeah, runner beans. We got a load of those in the freezer that were grown uh, from next door. They grow a lot of runner beans and they give us a load. So we stick them in the freezer, which is nice. And then we had nut roast. Trish makes these nut roast things for me. Well, and for her. She does eat meat. Um, but anyway, I, I grabbed one of those out of the freezer and stuck that in the oven along with my roast spuds. And it was brilliant. Even though I say it myself, I am good at roast potatoes. <laughs> Happy days. I also have to say that I'm pleased she's now recovering well and is able to get back into the kitchen because cooking is a hobby of hers. It it's a, may sound strange, but it is a hobby. She loves it, making cakes, making pies and all this stuff. It's quite lucky that she really enjoys it because uh, I help by keeping out of the kitchen. That's what she says. If you want to help, get out of the kitchen. And I can do that quite easily. When I said we didn't have any of the weird stuff people have these days, I think what I meant was that there wasn't, what was it, avocados and all this stuff. That's what I call weird stuff. There wasn't all that available. Fruit, for example, for pudding, for sweet, whatever you want to call it, afters, we would have fruit salad something like that. Or mum would make a trifle, which is sponge cake, custard, uh, whatever. Then you chuck in a load of fruit chopped up, perhaps pineapple and whatever. But there wasn't all this, you know, you couldn't go and buy kiwi fruit. And in the winter, you couldn't get strawberries. You had whatever was in season. Same with vegetables. Uh, you didn't have sprouts in the summer. They were more of a winter crop. Um, I like sprouts, actually. I do like sprouts. They're like marmite, aren't they? You either love them or you hate them. But I do like sprouts. So, yeah, there wasn't all this exotic stuff from abroad. And you never saw what you see now. I see in the supermarket now, runner beans, country of origin, Spain. You think, what, Spain? Can't we grow our own runner beans? For goodness sake, why do we have to get them from Spain? Come over on an aeroplane or probably a ship. All that diesel from the ship being pumped into the air. I don't know. People go on about this pollution and stuff. Well, why don't we grow our own runner beans? There are, there's a rant for you. It's true, though. I've seen, what was it from Egypt a little while ago? Was it carrots or runner beans? I can't remember. On the, it said on the packet, country of origin, Egypt. 
And I was thinking, well, how, how on earth do we get them from Egypt? Why can't we grow runner beans, carrots and whatever? It's all weird, isn't it? The whole thing, as far as I'm concerned, has all gone upside down, the whole world, especially here in Britain. We don't make anything ourselves. We've got no manufacturing to speak of like we used to have and quite know what's gone wrong. Anyway, I better not rant too much because I might get into trouble if I, if I say what I really think about certain things. I don't know. There goes a car. It's really sunny. And it's, where are we today? It's Saturday now. The days are whizzing by. And I haven't heard one aeroplane this morning, which is odd. It's sunny. The wind is quite strong from the west. Beautiful blue sky. No aeroplanes. Normally at the weekends, the pilots all rush over to Shoreham Airport, jump in their planes and they're whizzing around the place making a noise when I'm trying to record my podcast episode. But uh, nothing today. Rather odd. Have I moaned about the number of cars on the road to, in this episode? I think I have, haven't I? We took number three daughter over to Lansing, uh, just between Lansing and Shoreham. She wanted a lift over there just to be dropped off. That was all, not brought back or anything. To pick her up, which was on the way, to drop her off over there and come back here one hour. That should have taken 15, 20 minutes at the most, an hour. There are so many roadworks. Do you have that where you live? Do you have roadworks? Why do they keep digging up the road? Wherever we go, they're digging up the road. I don't know what they're doing. And of course, they've got temporary traffic lights, which are always red. Queues of traffic, miles and miles. Well, a few hundred yards of traffic. It's just awful. I'm not doing these local short trips for people anymore. I said uh, to number three daughter. I said, I'm not doing this again. It took ages to get there, over half an hour to get there, a bit quicker coming back. And I said, in future, you can hop on a bus because the bus goes right the way along the seafront. And of course, it's not only the time. It doesn't matter too much about the time. It's, it's the petrol sitting there with the engine running in the queue. I do turn the engine off if the queue is to sort of, if it's gridlocked and we're going to be there for some time, I'll turn the engine off, but not at traffic lights and things like that. But yeah, the cost of petrol and all the hassle of the whole thing. As I keep saying, too many people, too many cars, too many everything. There we are. There's another rant. Now, our, I don't do politics, I know. Our Prime Minister has just sacked the Chancellor of the Exchequer. He's only been in the job, what was it, 30-something days? <laughs> She's sacked him. I don't know what's going on. Saw my mum this morning. And she said, that Liz Truss, she starts going on about that. And I said, I'm not interested. I don't listen to any of it. I don't want to know. I don't anymore. I used to follow politics a little bit, but uh, I can't be bothered with it now. It's, it's not so much bad news. It's a farce. It's just become a joke. I think the, the UK around the world now, people are just laughing at us. You know, we get rid of one prime minister, we get a, another one and then we, oh, I don't know. <laughs> My mum said this morning, I wish I was young again. And I said, I don't. Young again? Imagine being in my teens now. What on earth have I got to look forward to? Good grief. Stone the rooks. <laughs> I thought I'd change it. The crows have had enough stoning. Talking of driving, I used to like the old cars. The cars in the 50s, especially the 60s. They were lovely. The Ford Cortina. Do you remember those? Um, Triumph Herald, brother-in-law had one of those. I didn't like the Triumph Herald too much. The Morris Thousand, Moggy Minor, Austin A35, uh, brother-in-law had one of those as well. I had an MG Magnet, the Farina style, that was nice. I had a 1954 Hillman Minx. I also had a, <laughs> a Morris Thousand Traveller. That was like a 
a car with doors at the back and a wooden framework. Do you remember those? The Morris Traveller wooden framework and the wood on the back of mine had all rotted. <laughs> I mean, when they knew that it's all varnished, but someone had let it go. Presumably you have to rub down the woodwork like you did on the houses in the old days, the window frames, rub them down and paint them. You don't expect to have to do that on your car. So the wood had rotted and the back doors were falling off. I had to get bits of steel and drill holes in it and make kind of plates up to, to hold the, the back doors on. I must admit, I didn't like that car. I don't know why I bought that. A Ford Granada, that was nice. Ford Granada, big thing, three litre engine. Good grief. That was nice. They went well, the Ford Granadas. Coming back from Kent the other night from the hospital, you know, when I bought Trisha home, country lanes, you've got the headlights on full and you have to dip them if there's oncoming traffic. In the old days, the dip switch was on the floor, just to the left of the clutch. So you've got your left foot doing the main beam or the dipped headlights. It's now a, a stick thing on the dashboard. I hate it. I just hate it. <laughs> I don't think there's anything I like about modern cars, except they do start every morning. You go out there, sun, snow, whatever, whatever weather, the thing will start within seconds. Whereas the old Hillman Minx, I had the 54 Hillman Minx. You'd go out there, pull the choke out. Rrr, 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 rrr. No, hang on, it'll go in a minute. Rrr, rrr. Battery's going down and suddenly, vroom, oh, that's all right. I can go to work today after all. Yeah, they were, they were good fun, the old cars. They had character. They were pretty heavy to drive. No power steering, no power assisted brakes, anything like that. If you had to stop quickly, you almost had to stand up, get out of the seat and stand on the brake. <laughs> to make the thing stop and the steering that really was a, a two-hand job you know there's none of this whizzing round like they do you know with your palm these days there's a dog outside now hear that if it's not aeroplanes cars motorbikes it's dogs we've got a railway near to us but that's when i say near to us that's what about three or four hundred yards away so I can't hear the trains so yeah back to the, the steering that as i say no power steering you couldn't do the palm of your hand bit and whiz it round you had to get both hands on the wheel. Ugh, ugh, especially if you're parking it. Oh, right, I've got it onto full lock. Reverse a little bit. Now I've got to straighten up again. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> That's why the steering wheels were so big. The Morris Oxford that I had, that was a huge steering wheel. But it had to be because it was so difficult to turn. You never turn the little wheel. They were good fun. I like the old cars. Leather seats wooden dashboard i've gone about this before i won't go on about it again be like going on about liver and bacon at school again <laughs> when i said the dip switch is on the dashboard it's not it's a fool it's on the steering column isn't it along with the wipers the lights the indicator everything's on the steering all sticks sticking out all over the steering wheel then there's buttons all over the wheel itself I must admit, I don't know what the buttons do. I know the volume up and down for the radio, but there's all these other buttons all over the, the steering wheel. And the horn, the hooter thing, that's kind of the whole centre of the wheel. And you can't, the other day I just tried to go peep, peep to wave to someone. You can't, you either have to go brrrr, you know, and blast everyone and frighten old ladies to death or nothing. You can't do a little peep, peep as it used to be. I don't know. I just hate all these new cars. I, people have said, why do you get an old car? You don't like new ones. Why do you get an old one? I would, but Trish doesn't want to. I'd get a Morris 1000. Brilliant. At the weekends, you just fiddle about with it. You clean the spark plugs, check the points, muck about with it, check the oil. They were good days. 
Having said that, I don't think I'd like to go to Kent and back in a Morris 1000. It, it is nice having a car that handles well and is, uh, what, reasonably comfortable, I suppose. But apart from that, I don't like them. <laughs> I just thought, do you remember the Monty Python sketch where he said, well, what have the Romans ever done for us? And someone said, well, they built the roads. Well, yeah, yeah, but apart from the roads, what have they ever done? The schools, they, they built schools. Yeah, OK, apart from the roads and the schools... What have they ever done for us? It's like the car, isn't it, when I'm talking about a modern car? Well, yeah, it starts every day, but apart from that, well, they, they handle well round corners. You can go pretty fast. OK, yeah, well, apart from they start and they handle well around corners. <laughs> oh, dear. No one would ever convince me I don't like modern cars, even the expensive ones. The other day I had a lift in a, what is it, a Land Rover? Uh, I, what is it? I don't know what it is. These big things. They're hybrid, they do electric and stuff. All very nice, but I don't know. It, again, it's not got the character that the older cars had. Do you remember the big old Jaguars? Good grief, they were fun. My father had one of those. Was it a Mark 4? Mark 4? 420. 4.2 litre engine. Automatic, of course. Wooden dashboard, everything like that. I must admit, I used to borrow it. And I must admit... Very nice to drive. That did have power steering. Very nice to drive, but very small inside. I felt squashed in. I like big cars. Now, talking of big cars, uh, you Americans listening, a friend of mine back in the 60s, he had an Oldsmobile, turquoise, convertible, huge Oldsmobile. What a car. The uh, real leather and it was cream inside. So the body was turquoise. Inside it was cream leather fantastic that is a real car i remember saying to people a friend of mine's got a real car what's that yeah, oldsmobile i always wanted an american car i never had one i never got one a friend of mine locally he's only around the corner from me he's got a cadillac i don't know what year it is that's a convertible cadillac and it's a huge thing i forget what the mileage is to, you know, to the gallon about sort of 10 miles to the gallon i think and he only takes it out now and then but it's a lovely car all well looked after and restored and everything. And uh, it's a fantastic car. They're just so lovely, aren't they? They're so comfortable. The The front seat, you know, the bench seat, it's like a sofa. <laughs> it's like a sort of four-seater sofa. <laughs> and the back seat is just as nice. I don't know. Never owned one, though. I don't know why I bothered with things like the Morris Traveller when I could have saved up a bit of money and got a an Oldsmobile or a Chevy. Or what was that Ford Lincoln? Was it the LTD? Do you remember Canon, the programme Canon? He had a Ford Lincoln with a, a kind of roundish window, windows at the back, sort of oval windows. That was a nice looking car. And the way they, they go up and down, you know, like you're at sea. <laughs> you probably get seasick. I mustn't go on about cars. We've got our Vauxhall and it kind of works and it's all right, I suppose coming to the end of this episode and I've no idea what to call it. I'm not quite sure what it's about. I think as usual, it's about sort of anything and everything and nothing. <laughs> it's good fun though, isn't it? As I've said before, I love talking to you. It's great. Who was it? A couple of people have said that it's rather like being in a pub. I'm sitting in a pub with you having a beer and I'm rabbiting on about the old days and this and that. So yes, we're all pretend that we're down the pub. I'll have another pint, please. <laughs> no, I better not. It's half past ten Saturday morning. A bit early for a beer. Might have one or two this evening, though, perhaps. At least Trish is cooking the dinner tonight. I can't cope any more in the kitchen. So, <laughs> dear, 
Yes, anyway, raiserant at protonmail.com. Email me if you have any comments to make, rude or otherwise. It'd be nice to hear from you. Take care, look after yourselves, and I shall see you on Wednesday for the midweek message. Bye-bye for now.